HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Hey, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Katie, HRN Executive Director, and I'm so excited to share with you our coverage from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We are here live today at Charleston Wine and Food. Join us as we talk all things food. Come to Charleston, eat some seafood. Eat all of the seafood. Chicken fried chicken with chorizo steak and salsa verde mashed potatoes. So quintessentially like Southern fare at its finest. And have important conversations. We're also talking about professional women in restaurants and how underrepresented they are. People of color in restaurants and how they're not talked about. We get real with Food Network's Manit Chohan. Balance is BS. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was yeah. I was told that uh, I wasn't going to be bleeped out. And find out about raising sugarcane with Chef Sean Brock. It's like being Indiana Jones or something. You never know what you're going to find. You'll come away inspired by the power of food and the food scene in Charleston. Here's Dr. Jessica B. Harris. Food is constantly in flux. Food is always moving. Food is the only real lingua franca that we have that allows us to connect with other folks. So tune in to Heritage Radio Network on tour at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't go wrong. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, the Communications Director here at Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with my co-host, Katie Mosman-Wadler, the Executive Director. Hey, Kat. Hello. Happy to be back Thursday afternoon, as always. Back in action. Back in action. We've also got the rest of the HRN team in the studio with us today. Uh, Our guest hosts are Hannah Forden and Sarah Strong. Hey, guys. Happy Thursday. And in the booth, as always, our stalwart engineer, Dave Tadashore, making us sound great. That's me. Hey, Dave. And I'm really excited about the guests that we have here in the studio with us today. Um, first, I'd like to introduce a really good friend of mine, Esther Trakinski. Hi, Esther. Hey, Katie. How are you? I'm so happy to be sitting next to you in here. Esther is a lawyer who changed her focus to food studies and is now teaching food policy and politics and also food systems in the food studies program at NYU Steinhardt. And she's currently the farm to school coordinator for New York City's Department of Education, where she's working to design and develop a supply chain to bring food grown and produced in New York State into the city's public schools. And also, she is an advisor to a variety of startups and nonprofits in the food space, including Heritage Radio Network. So we're so grateful to you. Thanks, Esther. Oh, wow. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Um, Our other guests today are um, a really, really dynamic team of people who are making some very delicious drinks. Um, Darren Grenia, Julian Mohammed, and Roxanne Maliki. They're the team behind Wandering Barman, which delivers handcrafted cocktails in a bottle. And you can find them around Bushwick and surrounding neighborhoods. Welcome, guys. How are you doing? Hello. (laughs) Hi. All right, so we're super excited to crack open some drinks, talk to everybody a little bit later, but first we're going to jump into our headline. So this week, Wenley Radio hit the road and took us 
with them on a culinary adventure through Hong Kong where they explored street food, tea houses, elegant hotel restaurants and markets. Uh, and host Diego Senor also interviews Irvine Welsh about his latest book, T2, Train Spotting. And on Cutting the Curd, they launched their Women in Cheese series this week, uh, kicking off with guest Tess McNamara. She's the Director of Retail and Operations at Lucy's Way. Tess chatted with uh, with, with um, Cutting the Curd's new producer, Elena Santagade, about the specific challenges of navigating a career in cheese as a woman. And on Speaking Broadly, Dana welcomed her guest, Taylor Lanzett, who is also the former producer of Eating Matters here on Heritage Radio Network. So shout out to her. Uh, Taylor is a queer advocate for food system change and inclusivity. She began her career by creating a CSA-style program in college for students, faculty, and low-income customers, and now sources millions of pounds of produce as the director of supply and sustainability for the Dig In Restaurant Group. Beer Sessions Radio featured a tasting this week hosted by Chad Santo, founder of Crooked Stave. Host Jimmy Carboni chatted with Chad at length about sours, brett, and wild ale beers. So beer nerds, take note. And this week on the food scene, uh, they had guest Margaret Palka of the Carroll Garden staple, Margaret Palka Bakes. Margaret shared her story of how an apprenticeship in France uh, in French pastry took her from aspirations in the art of the world to the streets of Paris and her dream of owning her own bakery. Best rugula in New York. That's what I heard. Period. Yeah. Wow. That's... A big claim. The picture looked awesome. Try me. Oh, wow. That was aggressive. Yep. Um, so these are just a few of the interviews that you can listen to uh, on Heritage Radio Network that were recorded this week. There's so many more. So make sure you go to our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Browse around. See what interests you. You can also subscribe to all of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. There's lots more wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so now I'd just like to give a quick shout out to a couple of events. Um, this one is a big tip of our collective radio hats to former HRN executive director Aaron Fairbanks. So Aaron is uh, blowing up the Ladies Night event series. If you haven't already um, RSVP'd to tonight's snow date version of the uh, Ladies Night at Saxelby Cheesemongers, then you might be out of luck because I think that it's full for tonight. But I have great news for you, which is that on Wednesday, April 18th, is the official April Ladies' Night, which is being co-hosted by Bento Box and League of Kitchens. This is going to be held at the Bento Box headquarters in Soho. The lineup includes Bento Box co-founder and CEO Crystal Mobayeni, League of Kitchens founder and CEO Lisa Gross, cooking instructor Yamini Joshi, and Bento Box marketing coordinator Christina Martin. So get your tickets now to join these entrepreneurial women for an evening of drinks, snacks, and inspiring conversations. You can go to BeKindBeFierce.com or um, on Eventbrite, I believe you can search for Ladies Night there and just make sure that you RSVP. This is really not to be missed if you're a woman in the food space. Uh, Anyone who identifies as female is welcome. I'm Erin Fairbank. (laughs) Hey, Erin. That's Erin. We should also give a shout out uh, event wise that um, not this Saturday, but next April 14th is Cherry Bomb Jubilee. So ladies in the food world, there's a lot of stuff coming your way. So make sure you check out that as well. Get those tickets. And I believe that one is open to people who also identify as other than female. Um, Just make sure you get your tickets because that will definitely sell out. Yeah, there's some really good speakers at Jubilee this year. Nigella Lawson, Ruth Rogers. Uh, Priya Krishna, um, lots more that I'm blanking on. I'm excited to hear from Jane's beard again. Jane's I love those beard. Um, of course, Carrie Diamond, our own Carrie Diamond. And some in Nosrat. Yes. Yeah. Who yes. is sweeping all the awards this year with her amazing book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. If you don't well have deserved. that cookbook, you need to get that cookbook. It will teach you how to cook. Mm-hmm. Yes. And all of her awesome New York Times cooking articles are super great, too. You turned me on to those, cat. Yes. Um, so uh, go to cherrybomb.com and get those tickets. Um, so I just want to say thank you, everyone who's in the studio with us once again for joining. And uh, as you know, this is sort of a free form variety show kind of format. So we're going to jump in. We have some interview questions for Wandering Barman and for Esther. And also feel free to ask each other questions if anything comes up in the conversations. Um, Esther, I want to start out with you and um, talk about 
a little bit of what um, kind of drove your transition from 20 years of working in law as a lawyer to um, deciding to get your master's in food policy and start teaching. So tell us a little bit about that career path. Uh, I'm kind of grinning at that question. Um, the way I've characterized it over the last bunch of years since the transition started was my life was thrown into a martini shaker in 2008-2009, apropos of the barman, yeah. the traveling barman. I really did use that metaphor even though I do not drink martinis, just to be clear. Um, my father became terminally ill. Um, I was at that time in my own law practice and uh, the bulk of my work was on two sets of what we call bet the company cases in the trademark space. Um, and each of the sets were multiple litigations with multiple parties about trademark issues. Um, Dad became sick. He became uh, combative because dementia was setting in. Um, my dad, the Holocaust survivor, had a lot of ghosts that were coming up. And my sisters and I, frankly, couldn't afford to pay four aides around the clock. So it became three aides and me of the three daughters. I was the only one in a position to actually step in and, and do that. So I basically suspended my practice. Um, all the parties were kind of ready for adjournments. The, court, the courts involved were more than happy to allow the parties to adjourn everything indefinitely. Took care of dad. Dad died in January of 09. Um, I, at the same time, was transitioning and moved up to Westchester with my partner, Stuart, um, and his children, or at least the ones that were still not in college. And I moved up to Scarsdale. And by the time I resurrected my practice in the spring, parties were ready to settle. I settled everything favorably, yada, yada, yada. Um, and was not able to, in part because my heart wasn't necessarily in it, but to resurrect a, a solo practice up in Westchester. Um, fast forward a few years later, I had enough of Westchester. Um, I went in 2013 to spend full time living in our country house up in Columbia County. And by then I had become very um, focused, fixated, enamored, I don't know what the word, right word is, of the food world. Um, more food, cooking, restaurants, writing, teaching. Um, and I had come across some mention of the food studies program, and I was like, wow, I want to do that. And so when Stuart and I were kind of redesigning our life, uh, I was complaining that I was sort of rudderless for the first time in my adult life. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to go back and to school and get that degree. He said, okay, then I'll support you in that. And September 2013, I started NYU um, with a view towards teaching and writing cookbooks for kids. Um, and people like Marion Nessel and my systems professor, Dimitri, Carolyn Dimitri, basically wouldn't let me leave the law. And they said, no, 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 you, you know, we're not giving you up. And here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Esther, because we graduated together, we spent a lot of time working on our collective theses. Uh, talk about your project for your grad studies I thesis. I, I will try to be brief. Um, <laughs> The, the lawyer in me, I'm a litigator, um, or always have was, have been, and, and I saw a need for um, training of lawyers and food policy advocates jointly. Um, you can't make anything happen. You can't promote change. You can't effectuate change unless you know how to work the legal system because so much of what's broken is policy, which is law. Um, so I envision a clinical program that would bridge the gap between a law school and a policy, graduate policy school, which, a model which does not exist, and created a training, a model for a training program, experiential learning program, to bring law students and policy students together to work on um, real matters in the food world. And I, I talk about in my project a particular litigation plan that I think, and I still think, um, would move the needle on the problem of advertising food to kids, takes it away from the argument that the First Amendment protects it, absolutely. And um, I want to talk more about your teaching at NYU, but I just want to jump over, and can you tell us uh, briefly what you're doing as the Farm to School Coordinator with New York City? Um, I am working with a group of really dedicated people. I mean, I think that what I came to learn 
almost immediately when I was brought into school food, and I was brought in by another classmate of ours, George Edwards, who's been working at the DOE for quite a long time. He heads up the Garden to Cafe program, which is a program, educational program that introduces kids in the schools to fruits and vegetables. Um, and he's, he's a really terrific chef, and he creates recipes, um, and he has, there's another chef, Holly, who does the same thing, and they go in and they teach these kids to schools. Um, George and some of his colleagues wrote a grant from New York State to bring in a farm-to-school coordinator to try and increase the amount of local food that's brought into the school system. Um, as you probably know, and I'm sure people listening know, New York City um, Public Schools is the largest school system in the country. Um, the statistic I've heard is that we are the largest purchaser of food in the country, second only to the Department of Defense. Uh, and I personally don't think that, that yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I don't think the Department of Defense is a fair comparison because, as I understand it, and somebody may correct me out there, um, the Department of Defense number includes the meals they serve overseas. So to my mind, we are the largest um, food service operation in the country. Uh, as such, we are the largest purchaser. Um, but we don't have a good enough local program because of the way we're set up. We have five distributors for five districts because the overwhelming challenge is to actually get the food into the schools to these kids, and that is the priority. Um, the, the menu management department that designs the menus is really, really committed to creating the most healthy meals they can given the parameters of what our supply chain permits. So the vision is for um, me, along with George and um, the other people in the department, to come up with a way of introducing our distributors to a bigger, more reliable supply of local food. Local being New York is really, um, I'm focusing on the Bronx because that's where the highest need is for healthier food because of the health outcomes of the Bronx at the lowest um, in the city. Uh, so a pretty major project uh -huh. and also super policy related <laughs> still. It seems like you uh, you are not getting away from that ever, I don't think. I don't think so. Uh, it's, it's just not going to happen. Um, okay, so I was super lucky to get to visit your class last week with Katie Kiefer and experience what uh, what a session of your food policy class is like. That um, was actually food systems. Sorry, food systems. To me, it's all food policy. Yeah, I think um, that's right. So... Talk about what are some of the issues that you're covering right now and what are the issues that are the most exciting for students in your class? And maybe just like for background, um, who like describe, you know, the typical student or like the types of students that you have in that class? Um, in this semester in food systems, it's an undergraduate class. And um, I think there's a fairly even split between students who are either in food studies or global public health who have some grounding in the subject matter and, and some um, pre-existing um, opinions and views. And then I have students from all across the university. I have, I have an engineer, I have a biology major, I have a computer science major, I have a business major. Um, and they are uniformly concerned about the environment and climate change. Um, they are uniformly concerned about the effect of trade on the food system. Um, you know, the, the, the looming trade war, if I can say that, concerns them in the sense that farmers are going to get nailed. And it's become pretty clear from the reporting that um, it's an intentional target. Farmers are an intentional target to create leverage on the administration, which is pretty freaking clever if you ask me. Um, they are concerned about food security. They are very much um, uh, bewildered by the fact that we produce so much food and that so many people are still hungry and don't have access to it. Food deserts, you know, the things that you would expect young, hopefully budding advocates to care about. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about the, the trade situation right now, and it's like, it's crazy to think about what's going to happen. Yeah, I was, um, I co-teach with Marion Nessel, her food policy and politics, which basically means I'm her backup. Um, and we had class last night, and that was the first thing that, that the students brought up. That's a graduate school. There's 72 in there, so that's a broad spectrum of interests um, from both uh, nutrition and global public health. And um, that was a huge, huge topic last do night. You mind, sorry, do you mind if I ask how 
it's actually going to affect the the, the farming well, industry like exactly how? um it's all over the papers the last couple of days one of the um one of the things the chinese have done is is issue a list of i think it's 128 products that they're going to tax put tariffs on and there's farm produce all over so okay. it's soy corn and pork particularly are going to be hit with what they're threatening to be 25% tariffs. So that goes from here to there. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize. Any that. right, anything right. so Trump announced a tariff on anything coming from them to us yeah. in steel and aluminum, so they're retaliating by saying okay, tit for tat and apparently it's being actually referred to as the tit for tat tax. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and the state the major states where like pork and soybeans and corn comes from are like Iowa, Illinois. It's like Trump's ba- where Trump's base states. is. Yeah. Right. So right. they're Potent, like they're specifically targeting those. I just didn't realize China was importing. <laughs> they import a lot of soybeans, yeah, I especially. Be I think there are. Yeah. I, I think they're our I largest customer mm-hmm. today on the Daily. The New York Times has this podcast series, and so good. Um, it's so good. And today they interviewed a. It's Michael Barbo. Bar- Barbaro. Barbaro. He interviewed a corn and soy and pork farmer from the middle of the country mm-hmm. who is a, he, he characters himself as a staunch Republican. He supported Trump. He voted for Trump. If he knew then what he knew, t- you know, then today he would still vote for Trump, but he's very concerned. He estimated that this tariff could could hit his business to the tune of 30% reduction. Wow. And right? he does not make a 30% profit on yeah. anything. Wow. Well, this is heavy stuff, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and the, good know, news, the good news is he seems to be backing off of it now. Right, now, you know, now they're trying to characterize it as a ploy to, to open up trade talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, fine. that's the that's his whole sure. plan. His plan all along. Uh-huh. Well, you know what? Master negotiation. When there's not much we can do, well, we can we can drink, right? Right, right guys. <laughs> so that's my transition. We will not tax you on what we have. <laughs> you um, saw me voting and drinking beautiful <laughs> bottles. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, so I, I want to ask Roxanne, Julian, and Darren. Um, I kind of want to hear the origin story of Wandering Barman. Julian and Darren, you guys co-own Yours Sincerely, where you serve cocktails on tap. Yes. Um, and you've described this as kind of a proof of concept for the pre-batch cocktails that you that Wandering Barman um, is you know selling. So, what was the bottle cocktails part of the plan all along, or is or was it an idea that you kind of got along the way? Um. Kind of, well, a bit of both, really. Um, we had a restaurant to begin with called Dear Bushwick, which was already in Bushwick. Um, we had issues with, um, I guess, maintaining and speed of service of a, of a regular cocktail um, program over there. Like, people would get their appetizers before they got their cocktails. And we had the space next door. We were going to open a, a bar there. Um, and we wanted to open a cocktail bar. We, we didn't want people to wait 15 minutes for their drinks. So we were like, okay, let's try and do draft cocktails. We figured out how to make that good. It took us two years of R&D. Um, and I think we, we kind of proved the success. Um, and in the back of our heads, it was like bottle cocktails or more of these bars. Um, and we kind of realized that we would prefer to um, basically bottle cocktails and put them in everyone else's bars so we don't have to uh, uh, basically run, run bars. And, the, and the, main, right. the main idea for the bar was a, sort of a solution to uh, problems that we were having in the restaurant when we were dealing with... Uh, a 12 to 14 cocktail, craft cocktail menu with, you know, five to eight ingredients in each and the timing that it takes to make that to order. And, you know, it was always a battle of trying to beat the appetizers to the table and that kind of thing uh, with the drinks. So it really was a solution-based idea, you know, to kind of bring that to the next level. So there's a few cocktails being passed around, and um, they're incredibly beautiful, and the labels are incredibly beautiful. Can you describe what we're about to drink and maybe identify them by the color so we know which is which? <laughs> so the, um, yes, the, the brown one is the uh, old-fashioned. That's a date bourbon. It's a date-infused bourbon old-fashioned with uh, aromatic orange bitters that we make in-house. Everything we make in-house. Uh, the red one is the Miss Casanova that is uh, spicy daiquiri. It's hibiscus-infused rum, uh, chipotle, orange, and lime. Um, I, I just tried this one, and it's so incredibly awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I love this. The Miss Casanova there. Oh, my God. Uh, the the orangish-yellowish one, that's a new one that we're uh, coming to market in uh, probably about a month and a half, two months. Uh, that is uh, Hatch Chili, Hatch Green Chili uh, Vodka from New Mexico. The um, chilies are from New Mexico. We make the vodka, but uh, Hatch Green Chili, uh, pineapple, turmeric, um, 
And then the clearer one is our uh, gin, old-fashioned. It's uh, gin, cucumber, elderflower, lemon, celery bitters. Uh, Did you just say you make your own vodka? Uh, we, we do the infusion. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah. uh, excuse me. <laughs> um, Wandering distillery and yeah. Yeah. Maybe one day. Um, Roxanne, how did you get involved with these guys? Good question. <laughs> Ask myself that every day. <laughs> um, I was, I came from the fashion industry. I was a product development manager. Um, try to, try to work in that industry for a while and then got sick of, uh, got sick of the bullshit, if I'm allowed to say that. You are, it's internet, radio. <laughs> and uh, I grew up in the service industry. My parents had restaurants, um, ended up, being a busser for those guys at Deer Bushwick when they were opening Your Sincerely. Um, and looking at the cocktail bar, we were brainstorming and ended up managing the two spots with them. And we really saw potential to solve a bigger issue instead of opening a bunch of bars, like the guys were saying. We were envisioning really helping other bar managers and bar owners being more profitable, more efficient, and also kind of cutting the crap and calling craft cocktails not pretentious and mm -hmm. fun and colorful and you could drink one in a dive bar or a music venue or anywhere you want and it could still be quality and that idea was just brilliant to me I agree I mean it's it's really nice if you want to go to a dive bar and sometimes you do want to go to a dive bar and you want to have a cheap beer and that's great and sometimes I want to go to a dive bar and have the same vibe, but I want to, like, drink something really tasty. Yeah, or if you're in a sports bar, I mean, I don't watch sports or drink <laughs> beer, and I, it's always a miserable time, but I still have to be with my friends. I, I can at least have an old-fashioned, a decent old-fashioned, and recognize the brand and know I'll like it, you know? Well, I have to say that we're on radio, so nobody out there can see this, but I'm looking at these beautiful labels, and... They are a lot of things, but dive bar is not one of them. <laughs> Good. They are they are beautiful and elegant. They're all women. Thank you. They're gorgeous. I mean, and and the as I we were talking about before we went on the air, the color of the drink flows from the color of the label, or I should say, vice versa. They're just beautiful, but they're all women. So well, actually, one of them is me. Um, <laughs> really? It is a pink label. But, um, okay. Make sure we put him in pink, though. <laughs> you're, you're in pink, and I I'm can't a feminist. see without my Keeping glasses. Keeping it real. I'm a uh, yeah. Okay. I, I can't yeah. What's see the that. inspiration behind the labels? Uh, really, oh. just, uh, having fun and uh, yeah, just being colorful and artistic and having fun and you know, really, we wanted to take pretension out of the out of the game and and um, you know, I think partially it's some of our personalities coming out and. Um, just being different and, and being noticeable on the back bar. And one of the things that they can also do, I know we're talking about dive bars and venues and stuff like that, but uh, the other thing that we can do and are doing in some of the locations that we're in is complement and add an experience to an already existing cocktail menu. Um, we're not there to take, you know, over by any means. Um, we're just there to take part and to complement and add another experience, um, you know, served from the bottle and, and you get the added uh, bonus of if you want, you can keep it. <laughs> and, and the idea, just to tag on to that, was that anyone could be the wandering barman. So the faces are hidden. You have, you know, the flowers coming out. One is an orange. It's just like it doesn't have to be about the person so much. It's more about the quality of the products. So all of a sudden, the shift is, what am I drinking? This is great, instead of, you know, feeling intimidated by someone behind the bar that might give you a bit of a... a Attitude. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us where where we can find Wandering Barman cocktails. And I would also like to know, of those places, kind of the response that you've gotten from uh, bartenders and managers. Like, is it... How have they explained that's made their life easier, or how have the customers reacted? Um, it's interesting, actually. The first few spots we got into were uh, in Bushwick, and uh, it, it we're was in here, and we're in here, and um, <laughs> it was people that we um, that we that we knew because we'd been in, in the neighborhood for a while, and I think they thought that they were taking the product on as a, as a favor, which we were grateful for. Um, but the minute, like within 24 hours, they were reordering because the customers just loved them, and the bartenders were happy to just shake these things in the bottle and pour them over ice rather than taking a couple minutes to um, to uh, to make a cocktail from scratch or made-to-order cocktail. Um, and, that, and that's really what it comes down to. For some people, it's just, like, hassle-free. Um, for other, um, like, uh, Le Garage, like, restaurants, it's, um, 
it's a matter of, of just easing the pressure on a busy Friday and Saturday night with all those made-to-order cocktails. They can slip a couple of bottled cocktails in there. And, and there's been no pushback whatsoever from customers. Like The quality of our cocktails are, are at least as good as, as made-to-order just to, from the precision that we can attain. And so we're in restaurants like Le Garage, which is French Spot, Sally Roots. Then we're in bars like Diver Bars, like Three Diamond Door, Darlings. Uh, we're also at the Tiki Bar here at Roberta's. And then we're in music venues and clubs like House of Yes, Elsewhere, uh, Union Pool in Williamsburg now. So we're really trying to be super diverse in, in where we're at. We're at Archie's. Yes, it really beats a jello shot for a music venue. <laughs> <laughs> You're also naming like all the places that I go. Yeah, yeah. this is good. This is good. Um, okay, so I, I, as the resident nerd, um, are there technical challenges that you've had to conquer about bottling cocktails and about like shelf stability? I know that you know citrus flavors are really hard to hold on to over time. Are there any uh, tricks you can share as far as uh, kind of stabilizing some of these super, super fresh flavors because these taste incredibly fresh? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the, the main thing that we, we learned and, and uh, had to figure out opening the bar um, because we are draft only is uh, preservation of cocktails. So we've kind of, that's sort of been or become like our backbone and, and what we are known for and what we are good for at is is uh, making things last um so we kicked fresh juice to the curb except for actually in the miss casanova we we use a fresh cucumber juice um but for the most part and when you're talking for acids um citrus acids and such we uh graduated into and a lot of bars and uh cocktail spots are experimenting with it now um with acids um citric acid malic acid things like that um so we do a proprietary blend of uh, acid solution and, you know, creates sort of like a blank palate sour. And then you can kind of take that into a direction. Um, it really adds, it, it gives you like a, a, a bag of tricks kind of. Um, you can, it doesn't have to taste like lime if you don't want to. It's all natural. Yeah, well, food derived. Yeah. That's why yeah. I, yeah. Thank you. I love cocktails that are made of food. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, citric and malic, I, I, most people have heard of those before. Citric yeah. coming from citrus fruits and malic, most notably from apples. So all naturally occurring uh, organic compounds. Do either of you have a food science background or a technical background? Well, I think Darren's definitely developed a quite significant Just reading. technical. Uh, no, 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 no formal education other than um, you know being extremely interested in uh, in what I'm doing and and you know reading books and. Um, yeah, learning. I'd be surprised if anyone knows yeah. more than Darren about this. Books work for as me. Far as <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, you find you. I mean, obviously, if you go to school and you're something, you know, you're good at it, uh, or you're interested in it, it comes easy. And this is something that I've been interested in for a long time. And Great. this isn't something we just put together overnight. You know, the R and D for this was a couple of years in the making. And um, uh, yeah. Well, so. it's obvious they're beautiful and they smell wonderful and they taste amazing and so. Um, and you can attain um, Thank you. the citrus, the relevant citrus flavor by using the citrus oils. So mm -hmm. as far as that goes, we're kind of like just taking away the juice part of, of yeah. say a lime and we're keeping the acid and the uh, and the oils. Sort of removing anything that would be perishable. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And that's the aromas come from the oils. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, retail in your future? Because I did notice that these are sub uh, four ounce airplane friendly bottles. If there yeah. are any airlines listening, we are in the market. Or we do not discriminate. Yeah, <laughs> that's we we are in um, as far as retail right now. We are in um, two liquor stores. Irving Bottle. Irving Bottle. Shout out to Irving Bottle. Shout One of our bottle. business members. Woo! Yep, and Blue Angel in um, Williamsburg. Nice. Um, but th the idea is really to try to bring a solution to, like we were saying, bartenders and bar managers. So we were especially aiming mm -hmm. towards those venues. Um, we believe that, you know, you need to understand the product and recognize the product before you're going to pick it up on a shelf. Not everyone's as good as a store like Irving Bottle is going to explain and understand what they have. So um, having bartenders that love our product is like having brand ambassadors. You know, we just have people pouring it. They're excited about it. It's like them they're pouring a good scotch or a good glass of wine or a beer they love, we want them to feel the same way and feel like they're part of the community. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you, um, before we go to break really quick, um, what's next? <laughs> the moon. The world, world takeover. 
Um, we all kinds of things, packaging for certain uh, situations. Um, we're looking at different types of cocktails, say carbonated. Um, we definitely have a long term. Actually, how much can I reveal right now? Not oh, too much. All of yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like got- Fest- festival packaging, um, you know, things like that for um, mass use. Yeah. Um, we have a then- lot of collaborations and and. Yeah. In our heads, <laughs> um, so we're looking to you know we we it's a sustainable product. It's less wasteful than anything else. We less we waste less water. We don't less you know everything's weighed to the point gram. So um, we're super careful in that, and so we want to collaborate with cool brands. And coming from the fashion industry and all being pretty creative, we want to partner in different ways that maybe liquor brands don't always do. Cool to be continued. That like leaves me wanting so much more mm-hmm. from Wandering Barman. Okay, we're gonna take a really quick break, and then when we come back, we're gonna play our infamous round of trivia. Great. This is the story of men and women who shed not only their clothes but also their. Super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Thank you, Roberta's. Uh, Surf on over, dude. Shout out to Brandon Hoy, who we saw in a documentary last night. Yeah, we did. That was kind of weird. He didn't say anything. He was just in it. Yeah, Uh, just lurking around. It's a... Rolling Stone documentary about DIY venues in New York City, and we were just like three fourths into it, and it's like, is that Brandon? Yeah, yeah, that's just like Brandon sitting at a city council hearing, like ready to throw down in his white hoodie. Also, like <laughs> I thought he had a, it looked like he had a white he collared a white, shirt on. He was. Oh, he was, really? He yeah. was yeah. Like a hoodie. I just just your, like your brain is just substituting the hoodie outside yeah. of a hoodie. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he was really badass because he was super involved with the whole uh, repeal of the cabaret law and the nightmare. We were there supporting our friend Raphael. Raph, we love you. Um, it was cool. Um, yes, that was that was a really fun event. Um, I I feel like I need to get to know more about um, music venues in my neighborhood because I'm lame and don't do anything. Yep. At night after ten. We shut out educated. After ten, yeah, I'm like. How about after eight? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you're talking. I'm the, um, I'm the old person in the room, so it's okay. Yeah, we should shout out because I actually live right across the street from it. Um, there's a venue called Silent Barn that was featured in the documentary as well, and it's a DIY music venue. Um, and they unfortunately are having to shutter because they are not able to like uh, fund basically. Uh, crowd crowdsource enough money to stay open. However, they've become home to an, a small organization called Educated Little Monsters that's providing um, a creative outlet and, and community center space for um, youths in the Bushwick neighborhood and they're trying to, you know, create a place for them to, to go and uh, it was, they had someone there who was rapping and it was really really inspiring and they're also going to have a I'll, I'll announce this in a couple of weeks when I have the exact dates but they're going to be doing a silent auction to help raise money to keep that space going for Educated Little Monsters I believe on April 20th. Silent auction for Silent Barn. You, you can't forget that. Yes. Silent auction at Silent Barn for Educated Little Monsters. Yep. Yeah, get it right. Yeah. Um, cool. So we, we are back with our guest, Esther Trakinski, and um, Darren Grenia, Julian Muhammad, Roxanne Maliki from Wandering Barman. And it's the time of the show where we play trivia. Yikes. I don't know that we warned everyone, but, you know, it's more fun that way. Surprise! <laughs> All right. So I will read some no trivia. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't like bar trivia. You can't cheat. It's too fast-paced for that. Um, If it's like bar trivia, then we can't win. Oh, Hannah's not wearing headphones. (laughs) Oh, David said if it's it's not bar trivia because we can't win. No, I said it. Never mind. You messed it up. He said, never mind. I messed it up. You messed it up. Um, All you win is our I said if it was bar trivia, (laughs) we we couldn't win because we can't at bar trivia, apparently. We all suck at trivia. We get it. We get it. Okay, so today is National Tell-A-Lie Day, so I'm ready to tell you some facts, and you tell me if I'm telling the truth or lying. It's 50-50. How hard can it be? Lying. (laughs) (laughs) You win. All right. Question number one. Liar, liar, liar. The name Pez comes from the French word for peppermint. False. Come on. We have a French person here, Roxanne. Oh, no. (laughs) It's a lie. That's a lie. Yes, correct. It's a lie. There it is. <laughs> it actually comes from the German word for peppermint, which is pfefferminz, taking the P from the first letter, E from the middle somewhere, and Z from the last letter to form the word Pez. Germans make everything more complicated. <laughs> All right, number two. <laughs> Mr. Rogers always mentioned out loud that he was feeding his fish because a young... He always mentioned out loud that he was feeding his fish because a young blind viewer once True. asked him to do so. She wanted to know the fish were okay. <laughs> On it. We have a fan in a the confident, room. You should add like an and something totally ridiculous. A confident <laughs> truth. It, was, it is true. He's it is a mind true. reader. And there's a new documentary coming out about him. Yeah, I want to see that. It looks really good. However, we had a discussion the other day. Hannah is very freaked out by Mr. Rogers. Yeah. No, that wasn't me. That was oh, it was Margaret. <laughs> Margaret's freaked out yeah. by Mr. Rogers. And I was passing think, the buck. Were you a little bit freaked out by him? It was some, two, there were like two people. I in grew up without television, so what I what is he from the South Mr. Shore Rogers, or something? But I have to just shout out that I know Francois Clemens, who was the police officer on Mr. Rogers. And he's an artist in residence at Middlebury in Vermont, <laughs> David. It's Middlebury College is in Vermont, in case you weren't sure. Um, but Francois is an artist in residence. He's an opera singer. He wears incredible, bedazzled caftans and jackets and like smoking have jackets everywhere. Uh, we should probably buy Francois a dog uh, moo because yes. that's the thing, apparently. Um, but... I don't know Mr. Rogers, but I I know. I mean, I love a man Austin in a cardigan. <laughs> He'll love a bedazzled cardigan even more. Yikes. Noted. Hannah is pro-cardigan. <laughs> Margaret is anti-cardigan. Okay, question number three. During Prohibition, moonshiners would wear cow shoes. The fancy footwear left hoof prints instead of shoe prints, helping distillers and smugglers evade the police. True. Correct. <laughs> You're welcome. It's it's a really good idea. Thank you. In eighteen eighty, got that from a book, right? <laughs> I actually just guessed on that one, but it makes sense. It's plausible. Yeah, absolutely. Moon People have done before. weirder things. Um, number, right here in this room. Yeah, no. Number four in eighteen eighty seven, Indiana state legislatures 
legislators outlawed selling prime rib on Sundays. That's it. There's no period in this. In 1887, Indiana state legislators outlawed selling prime rib on Sundays. That sounds plausible. I'm going to say true as well. Wait, it's Indiana, Blue so yeah, anything's possible. I thought you couldn't sell anything on Sundays. <laughs> so we're going, we're going with true. True? False. Well, you're just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> just looking at it. False. I think it's too, it's too crazy to be false. It's got to be true. Yeah. Final answer. It is false. Yes. <laughs> no, it no, we're 100%. Count. Do you, blue laws in Indiana do prevent you from buying or selling something, but it's not prime rib. Anybody Liquor. have a guess? Bacon. Liquor. No. Oh, candy. Think of like cigarettes. Drugs. Blue laws, blue book. <laughs> Cocaine. Cars. 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 What? You can't buy cars on Sunday. This was in 1887. I'm sure it's repealed now. Did they have cars? There were cars in 1887. Apparently. This is wrong. I guess. This is all a lie. Okay, number five. We all have homework to do. That's all I can say. Oh, gosh. Tell a lie day inception. All trivia is a lie. (laughs) Number five. The 100 folds in a chef's toque are said to represent 100 ways to cook an egg. Uh, This is uh, nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) We have someone saying adamantly yes. I, I, I would say yes as well. It's, it is. It's true. The French wow. woman says yes. We go with that. Yeah. We go with that. Okay, number six. Guinness estimates that 93,000 liters of beer are lost in facial hair each year <laughs> in the UK alone. Ew. I'm gagging true. a little bit right now. <laughs> Lies. Yeah, All right, well. I don't understand. <laughs> I, I did the Guinness tour two years ago. Poured a perfect oh, okay. beer, I might say. Nice. And they didn't mention that, so I'm going to have to say it's false. So it's they're saying it's lost in the yeah beard. in the beard, like food waste Fresh because sloppy. it gets like. Yeah, but wet. I think it's in my I can speak I, from experience you, that this the, is true. The and if they share. say it's false, they're lying. See, I lick it. I lick it out of my beard. <laughs> that's way more than share. we need that's to the know. Okay. <laughs> the devil's cut. I will say that the person with the biggest beard here is right. It's true. Yes. Wow. He yes. has the biggest beard. Really? I think so. Uh, you just created a huge I would, I would imagine that mm. egg yolk is probably a close oh. second. Oh. oh, no. Next question, please. But wait, right. no, but my, I feel like my beard is just like curly. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have that contest later. Yeah, all short and curly. <laughs> all right, number seven. <laughs> Reed Hastings. Do you guys know who Reed Hastings is? No. No, he's a jazz musician. <laughs> good guess, good uh, guess. It's a brand of Reed. Uh, <laughs> he's the founder of Netflix, and he has uh. said that he was inspired to start Netflix after a $100 late fee on a VHS of the... Okay, these questions Rochelle, are hard Rochelle. to read. He said that he was inspired to start Netflix after he got a $100 late fee on a VHS tape of The Cutting Edge. That seems too obvious. True. <laughs> I have no opinion. I've been wrong too many times. It is false. I knew it. It was a $40 late fee <laughs> on a VHS of Apollo 13. Oh. Amazing. It wasn't Rochelle Rochelle, an erotic Apollo journey from Milan to Minsk. What the hell are you talking Doesn't about? Doesn't anybody David? watch Seinfeld? No. 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 Uh, okay. Kirby enthusiasm. We have, <laughs> we have three more questions. Number eight. This one's simple. Queen Elizabeth II is a trained mechanic. We have an Englishman in the No, house. it's true. She did it during the World War II. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. What? Yes. <laughs> no, wait, she said. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have no idea. English. She did it during the World War II. He doesn't even know who yep. that is. <laughs> New phone. Who this? Let's get controversial. How do you feel about the Queen? Lost my phone. Who is this? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> All right. Question number nine. An estimated 1,000 dogs in the U.S. have been named primary beneficiary in their owner's wills. Absolutely. True. True. Absolutely. I would say more. (laughs) You're spot on. Okay. (laughs) How many? You said an estimated one. I said an estimated 1,000. It's got to be over a million. 1.1 million. 10,000. It's over a million. One billion. Amazing. That's crazy. I mean, people are marrying themselves now, so nothing's crazy. Think about all the crazy Wait, cat ladies and dog oh, yeah. ladies and single people oh, yeah. who have animals and don't have families. Yep. Donate it to her. 
Okay, guys, here's what you should do. <laughs> Our membership coordinator had a dog. Donate it to Heritage Radio Network because we will put it to good use. Your dog Wandering loves listening to the radio. We'll take in I the dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just so go to heritageradionetwork.org, hit the beating heart on the right hand corner of your screen, and donate your entire nest egg <laughs> rather than leave it to your dog. The nice word for this is planned giving. Thank you all. That is nice. Thank you, Hannah. That was planning. the executive director speaking. This has been the best plug for donations I've ever Stay heard. New. And and I get and I get dogs out of it, so everybody wins. Everybody we'll also wins. Take your dogs happily. We have a dog, dog friendly yeah. office. It's more than dog friendly. It's, it's like too dog, dog friendly. If you ask friendly. me, it's, I'd say it's dog dominated. Yeah. <laughs> We've been letting them walk all over us for too long. <laughs> all right, last question. The Haas avocado is named after Rudolf Haas, a California postman who patented the Haas avocado in 1935. So much true. detail. Uh, true. True. It is true. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. All right, that's our show. That's our trivia. That's our show. Yay. We get to drink amazing cocktails, talk about things that matter. Thanks for having us. Love yeah. it. Thanks for Loved inviting it. us. Thank you so much, ladies. Thanks Great to, to meet Esther. You guys. Thanks to um, Julie and Darren and Roxanne. Um, thanks to Hannah and thanks to Sarah and David and Katie. <laughs> Thank you, Kat. All right. That's our show. We'll be uh, next week. We have a very special show. We're going to have guest hosts. David no, that's Tattashore. not true. No, that's not true. You're still hosting. What? That's right. We'll I will be hosting. Later. I might sound a little different. Uh, but tune in next week. We're going to have a very special guest from the Oxford Food Symposium. Yes. All right. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. HRN Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.